<laughs> we are looking at First Thessalonians. We dealt with chapter 1, chapter 2. We talked about the background of the book. That Paul wrote the book to encourage them in their tough times and in their trying times. And, um, and the whole book is all about encouragement in the day of what? Adversity and in difficult times. Amen. Now today we want to quickly go to chapter 3 and, and finish it to 5 as fast as possible. Amen. Are you here with me? Wow. I was obviously good. You came with the car. Hey, you know why it? Let's go. Verse 1. Wherefore, when we could no longer, maybe we may not understand it, so let's go back again. <laughs> um, let's take from verse, verse 18. Wherefore, three, 2 verse 18. Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. He said, who hindered them? Satan. And I told you how Satan hindered them. He hindered them by sending persecution. They were hunting them for their lives. They wanted to kill them and they ran for their lives and all of those things. And he went on and said, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So he's beginning a new teaching and he's saying that, are you not going to be present when Christ comes? Yes, you would be. Are you, are you there? And he said, for you are our glory and our joy. We are going to chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, now you are spoken about the fact that you are our glory and our joy because you know what? You are saved. You are born again. You are enduring persecution. You are strong in faith. And now he wants to talk. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, the word forbear is um, we could no longer withhold our patience, okay? The word for bed there means they couldn't hold their patience. They were eager, okay? When we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to be left at Athens alone and sent Timotheus. Because he said Satan hindered them from coming, so they were there, oh, we want to meet the Thessalonians. I need to go and preach to my people. Come on. But Paul is popular and people want to kill him, but Timothy isn't. So they sent Timothy and they say what? Timothy, go and preach to them. He said, and send Timotheus, our brother, a minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and comfort you concerning your faith. We are going to talk about a number of things here very soon. He's saying that Paul, I'm an apostle. Timothy isn't an apostle. And I am hindered from preaching the gospel and now I'm sending a young man by name Timothy to do my work. And that should tell us as leaders that there will always be a time where we will be hindered from doing God's work and we must learn to trust certain people to be able to undertake the tasks that we undertake. Again, it tells us that we must learn to train people. You realize that when you go through the book of Timothy, you find out that Timothy is Paul's son. I follow what I'm saying. But in this place, he's saying, my brother. And that is why... I personally, most of the time, when I travel with any of my sons and daughters, I just tell people, oh, this is one of my, my friends, this is one of my brothers in the Lord. And they're like, hey, Papa, are you sure I'm your brother? I, you are, I'm your son, oh. 
Because Paul, you see, in the Bible, people who are sons are considered brothers because in the long run, you are brothers and sisters in the Lord. It's not like father or daughter or uncle or spiritual uncles and fathers. But it's just, but it is there anyway. Spiritual fatherhood is there all right. But sometimes we must take away all these barriers from our lives and just allow uh, things to be just as they are supposed to be. So we are welcome. Are you following me? I follow me. So sometimes we shouldn't have to go around everywhere. Hey, hey, just let people know that, Charlie, we are the boss. You know, I'm the senior man. This is my son. <laughs> I came with my son. Not, you know. Sometimes I walk with some preachers and we're men call men call I've never called any of my, my sons and daughters men It looks so, some way. Don't you think so? I, I'd rather call them maybe my students or my people. I prefer to use my people. So you usually hear me most of the times and I'm saying, my people, my people. I prefer that one. And over here, Paul is saying that Timothy is his son. We know it in the book of Timothy. He said, Timothy, our brother. Simple. We must learn to take this simplicity of the Bible, the way they live their lives. They saw one another as brothers and sisters. Are you with me? They saw one another as brothers and sisters. And he said, Timothy, our brother, a minister of God and our fellow laborer of the gospel of Christ. He's saying, Timothy is a fellow laborer. Another thing we learn from that is that you are not the only one that is called. You are not the only one that can undertake certain tasks. You are not the only one that can preach. You are not the only one who can prophesy. Are you following what I'm saying? You are not the only one who can teach the Bible. Paul is saying that we have fellow laborers, and one of them is Timotheus. I'm sending Timotheus. And when I look at it, I realize that I shouldn't get jealous when I see God raising young people. Or I shouldn't get jealous when I see God blessing other people and using them mightily in the kingdom. They are holding mega conferences. They are building churches. They are running ministries. I should be proud because we are all working in the same vineyard. And as a matter of fact, Jesus even commanded his disciples that they should pray to the Lord of the harvest. They should pray to the Father that he will send laborers into the vineyard because the work indeed is huge, but the laborers are few. These days they say self but it's not true. The laborers are few. The laborers are few. The people we need to do the work of ministry are few. There's, there's almost everyone cares about being a doctor and a nurse. Teacher. No one cares about souls anymore. Only a handful of us. Only few people care about souls. Everyone is fighting for money. It's like we're all in a race to succeed so that people don't say we are failed in life. Are you following me? We're all in a race. We want to pile up the degrees and forget about God. Pile up the accolades. Pile up the buildings, the cars. The latest phones. And the latest tablets. And the latest of anything. But we don't want to preach the gospel. And we must put it behind our backs that we must pray that God will raise people like Timothy. And the question you must ask yourself is that can you be my Timothy? That if I am not available. That's why yesterday when I was going to preach, I decided to let some of you tag along. When I go to preach in place, I'm as wild as wild. Even when I preach here, I'm wild. You see that? Can you be my Timotheus that one day 
I'll not be available and I'll say, you know what, I have a programming. Maybe Kumar say, I want you to go and preach for me. And they will receive you. You will preach, you will finish, you will sing, you will prophesy and heal the sick. And when you are done, they say, wow. I mean, you will teach, you will preach, you will sing, you will prophesy, you will heal the sick. And when you are done, they say, ah, AFM came here, and I'm not there. I thought you would clap and celebrate God. Are you with me? And that's exactly what I want to see in this ministry, and that's why I spend more time teaching. I spend more time teaching. Yesterday, I was prophesying to a lady, and I, I told her her wedding callus. Were you not there? And she said, yeah, yeah, that's the wedding callus. How about the guy I, I uh, described his parents' uncompleted building? I looked at him. I didn't do any guess, so I just looked and I started describing the thing. And he said, yeah, it's true. I mean, the prophetic is there, and that is why I'm taking more time to teach you, so that soon and very soon, Satan may hinder me. And I don't know what it may be. It could be an accident. I can get an accident one day and my tongue will be removed and I can't talk again. Who will I say? And who will be the Timothy that will go? I may get an accident one day and I will have to be in the hospital for a year. Who will Go. You see, someone asked me, he said, how do you, how are you able to read? I read less than 100 books a year. Not less than 100 books a year. I listen to me. I spend hours in prayer. I spend hours in, in, in listening to steps. And so how are you able to become so enthused and and motivated to do that. I said, you don't know, you don't know what, I, you don't know nonsense. I mean, the price will keep you awake. The thing you want to achieve will keep you awake. Are you listening to me? You don't need any external motivation. You need internal, your vision should keep you awake. Your vision should make you finish that book in a day. I've had to buy books, big books, 200 pages. I finished them in two days. I couldn't stop. Why? Because of the vision. And sometimes I recommend books to people. They end up throwing the book away. Hey, may God raise fellow laborers in the gospel of Christ. And he said, to establish you and to comfort you concerning your faith. To establish and comfort you concerning the faith. Now the Greek word there for that word used established is sterizo. Sterizo or sterizo. It means sterizo or sterizo. Let me spell it for you. This sterizo here it is not like the normal established in terms of you have built a building. It rather refers to renovate. <laughs> Are you with me? It rather refers to what? To renovate something. To bring something back to its original form. It means that here Paul is telling them that um, 
I know that some of you are about to give up. Some of you are already giving up in your faith. And I'm sending Timothy to stir up your faith back to life. To bring you back to faith. To bring you back to the, the, the Christian belief. And, and so that you can be comforted concerning your faith. Verse 3. That no man should be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are appointed there unto. Underline the word we are, for you yourself know we are appointed. Now, Paul is saying that we have been appointed to persecution. Are you listening to me? Let's look at Philippians 1.29. Philippians 1.29. In Philippians 1.29, Paul says, For unto you is given for Christ, that not only ye should believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Do you see that? Do you see there? That we have been ordained to suffer for Christ's sake. Again, when we're looking at the chapter 2 verse 15, they were, Paul was talking about the fact that these Jews both killed our Lord Jesus Christ and they killed the prophets. And he said, and have persecuted us. And Paul is saying here is that, he said, brothers, you know that we are appointed. We are, listen, persecution is a ministry. God recruits his soldiers with high lands of persecution. Storms makes us strong in our walk with God. Are you with me? And exactly, and that is exactly what Paul is saying. He said, brothers, we have been appointed unto this thing. Affliction. We have been appointed unto affliction. Somebody say, I'm appointed unto affliction. Hallelujah. You're welcome. Verse 4. For verily, Verily, there means surely, surely, surely. Certainly. Or verily. When we were with you, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation, even as it came to pass, and you know of it. For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, again, it's repeating again, I couldn't hold my peace. I loved you so much, I could not hold my peace. Forbear, I sent to know of your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you. Now labor be in vain. Paul is so much concerned that if he doesn't get a pastor to go there and preach to them and encourage them, Satan will deceive them and they will run away and leave the Christian the Christendom. Not that they will lose their salvation, but that they will just give up on their faith. You know that there are certain messages that sometimes are preached at certain hours of our Christian work that you know that this message certainly came for me to keep me on my toes so that I don't give up. And that's exactly what Paul is saying, that lest the tempter should take advantage of you if you are not encouraged to stay in your faith. Because, listen, I keep telling people that, look, during those difficult times of your life where you feel like giving up are actually the times that you need to stay in the presence of God. Because in the presence of God, your weaknesses die. Your doubts die. Your, your limitations are broken. And God begins to give you strength. 
to overcome certain uh, limitations that come your way. Are you following what I'm saying? And Paul is saying, exactly, I couldn't hold it anymore because I knew that if I left you, my sheep, just to be hanging around, especially in the face of persecution like this, you will throw in the towel and you end up at the mercy of the devil. You will give up. You will even stop going to church. You will stop praying. You will stop fasting. You may even burn your Bible. Anyway, they didn't have Bible, but in our sense, that's how we have to say it. And I've seen Christians that at the slightest of of, of, of storms, they threw, in the towel, they threw in the towel, they gave up because no one was there to encourage them. And that is exactly what Paul is saying, saying that if you don't have an encourager, you will give up. Especially if you are not well built in, in the word of God. And this is why I like to admonish you that, listen, the greatest encourager we have is the word of God. Look, in those tough seasons of your life where you feel like giving up, go to the Psalms. The book of Psalms was written to, to keep us on fire every time. Even amidst the days we feel like giving up. Go to the book of Psalms. Find a number of scriptures, bite them, read them, and let your faith come alive. I listen to what I'm saying. I said, which book? The book of Psalms. But now, he said, let the tempter, let by some means, the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. But now, when Timotheus came from came from you unto us. He said, that means that Timothy already came and, and returned with the good. And that's why they were happy. That's why Paul was saying in the beginning that, you know what, when I heard of your faith and how it has spread all about in Macedonia and Achaia, all those things, it was because Timothy was sent and Timothy has returned with the good news and now he's writing a letter to them. He said, when Timothy came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and, and love, and that ye have good remembrance of us always. Let's stop there. Timothy came back and told us of your faith and of your love. Faith and love move hand in hand. We can't say we, we have faith in God when we don't have love. Apostle Paul even says that faith works, faith works by love. That the platform by which faith is built, which cannot fail, is love. And he said, I heard of your faith and of your love and that you have good remembrance of us always. And that is why I want to dwell for just about a minute. Most of the times we, in ministry, we, we find out that we have been a great blessing to a number of people and they have forgotten us at the slightest of storms. At the slightest of an issue, they forget who was with them. And I've seen it in ministry. I, I listen to what, what I'm saying. And Paul is saying that you kept us in mind because we were good to you. You remember when we were talking about the chapter 2? He was talking about the fact that we preached to We never took a dime from you. We never duped you. We were not scammers. Again, he's going to talk about scamming again. That there are some people that are scammers in church. He said we were not pastors that were scammers. And we have left. And you always speak of us. And you love us. And you are remembering us. And these are good people. And these are good people that we should emulate. We must remember them. One day I was saying something on social media. I posted on my status and I said, there's no, there's no single human being that I know one-on-one who has done me good that I don't remember. 
And they were surprised. A lot of people were replying, are you serious? I said, everyone. I keep records <coughs> of every good deed done me. And I don't keep records of every bad deed done me. Hold on, let me tell you a, a little story. I just remembered. <laughs> it's a very funny story. So let me tell you so that we all laugh. When I was young, my primary school and my early JHS days and even ACHS, you know, those days, the ladies used to propose to us and all those things. I had a book. Any lady who proposed, I write her name in the book. I tell you, I, I still have the book there. <laughs> I, it's not funny. <laughs> Can you be writing names? I'll go for them. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> yeah. Any lady that proposed and showed interest in me, I went home and I wrote there and I said, this guy is so serious. I wrote there. I kept record of all of them and they became my enemies automatically. Hey. <laughs> no, I was a child back in the days. Anyway, are you following me? So those are the only bad things that I've recorded in my book. But I mean to say that every good thing anyone has ever done to me, I remember it. I remember it. And that is what Paul is saying. He said, you remember us for the good we have done to you. It's so interesting to know that in our generation, people easily forget the people that have been there for them. Yeah. And I've seen it. I've seen people that have been helped so much by certain people, they ended up betraying the people that helped them and went and lived with their enemies. And Paul is telling you, we're happy that you remembered us because there are certain people that did not remember us. And that's what ministry is all about. Forgetting people, um, ungrateful people. We are all Christians. We are all children of God. You find out that certain people are just as ungrateful as they are. And Paul is telling them that don't be those kinds of people because you people, you always remembered us. Isn't that a good thing? You remembered us. Let's continue. Desiring greatly to see us and we also to see you. Anyway, for those of you who just came, we are, we are doing an exposition, verse-by-verse verse interpretation of the Bible. From the book of First Thessalonians. And on Wednesday, we started with it, and now we have gone to chapter 5. Are we in chapter 5? Hey, chapter 3. Oh, then I have to hurry up. Chapter 3. So we are in chapter 3. <laughs> we are in chapter 3. And um, verse what? Verse we are in chapter 3, verse 6. So we are reading it, then we are interpreting and we are learning lessons from every single verse of the Bible. Is it a good thing? All right. So he said they had a desire to meet them. They were greatly desirous to, uh, to meet them and to, to have fellowship with them. Hallelujah. Therefore, verse 7, therefore, brethren, he's calling the brothers and sisters. Are you, have you seen it? We were comforted over you in all our afflictions and distressed by your faith. He says that when Timothy returned, we have been beating, they've beaten us and massa. We are so we are running for our life, but when we heard about you, our faith came alive. Yeah. I listen to what I'm saying. When we heard of your faith in the in the face of opposition, and I told you that Christianity is going through a certain phase of opposition and persecution at this. And these days, the opposition we are facing is 
Oh, you are hypocrites, you are thieves, you are criminals. Every day is all about money. Every time I go to church, it's about money, 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 and thieves, and they are thieves. And you Christians, you are worse than us. And all. Because these days, they can't hang us like they used to do back in the days. So now they use their mouth to persecute us. Do you see that? And Paul is saying that when I, when I found out that you guys in the face of opposition and persecution, some of you people, you have lost your jobs, you have lost your marriages because you decided that you want to love God when we had it, even though we had scars on our back. We were comforted because we knew that it was good that we were beaten. It was good that we are in prison. It was good because our trial has not been in vain. Every preacher must come to a point where they find joy when God begins to prosper the people that they are preached to. They find joy when God begins to prosper their members. They find joy when God begins to elevate the people that they are, they are speaking to. I find joy when I see God begin to bless people. I find joy. I find joy when I find out that people that were some time back in certain, a certain kind of life are now have now recovered and now they are serving God. That is the joy we find. And that's exactly what Paul is. He said, this encourages us. For now, we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. The word stand fast there is one of Paul's favorite words he likes using. And it simply means to be faithful. Stand fast there means to be faithful. It means to be full of faith. You will see it used in, in, a number, in a number of ways in Galatians 5 verse 1. Where it says, stand, there, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has uh, made you free. And be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. So he likes using it. And here too he say that be faithful. Don't give up. Verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sake. Before our God. Again, then he goes again. Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face. And might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. He says, we have been praying day and night to see you. I mean, which kind of church members would these people be that their apostle just can't wait to see them? Are Are you following what I'm saying? Yeah, the apostle just can't wait to see them. What a church member. <laughs> or oh, what a church. That he just, he, the, Paul has missed them so much. He just can't wait. That 19 days praying, Lord Thessalonica. Lord Thessalonica members. Then he's mentioning there and he said, you know what? Lord, I can't wait to be there. And when and I say that, that I may perfect that which is lacking in your faith. It means when I come, I will pray for you. I will lay hands on you. I will impact some gifts. Some of you will prophesy. And some of you will heal the sick. And you know what? And those of you have questions, strong questions that are baffling your mind, that are baffling your mind. You you don't have answers to them. I will answer them for you. I can't wait to be there. I can't wait to be in your midst. I want to open scriptures with you. I want to have Bible studies with you. And I know there are a lot of you that miss us that have many questions. Pastor, if God is there, then why am I struggling? Pastor, um, um, if I do this, is this a sin? You know all these questions sometimes church members will all want to ask. It's the same thing Paul is saying. I wish that I'm there so that I can answer all these questions for you. 
so that when I finish answering them, you will be perfect. It means we can be perfect by the standard of God. And do you know that in God's standard of perfection, we find out that while God is saying we are perfect, the world is saying we are not. (laughs) Are you listening to what I'm saying? Do you know that Abraham lied twice about his wife? Again, Abraham, I'm not saying this so that you are saying you should go and lie. You know, I've thought over and over again that don't be a liar. <laughs> so I'm just trying to let you know that what the world considers in the sight of God, when a man walks with God, all those things are not necessary. He forgives them of their sins. He, he wipes away their iniquity. Then he calls them to his own. You know, and Abraham also went and committed adultery. And in Romans chapter 4, he says that he staggered not at unbelief. He staggered not in faith against unbelief, but was strong in faith. Uh -uh. This guy who came to God a number of times, he said, God, are you sure you said you give me a son? What I'm trying to say is that when God says we are perfect, the world says you are not. (laughs) Are you following what I'm saying? While God is saying, you know what? I love you. And sometimes, if it's not even the word as, as, as I say. Sometimes we ourselves are looking at ourselves in the mirror and we are saying, ah. and God is saying, ah, I have bought you with a price. I have sanctified you. I have called you for a purpose. And at that time, we also stand in the mirror and say, ah. not me. It can't be me. Uh, uh, don't you know my past? I was a criminal. I was a thief. He said, I have made you perfect. Now come and follow me. He said, are you sure? Master, are you sure? He said, yes. He said, I've made you perfect. And that's the same time we also, Lord, you know that me, Kurano. You know that me, I don't even know how to sing. And I don't even know how to preach. The other day when they asked me to come and lead opening prayer, I was shivering. I was shivering. He said, don't worry. I have perfected you in my sight. You are perfect. Are you listening to what I'm saying? So we shouldn't lift, we shouldn't let the world decide God's standard for us. As a matter of fact, the standard God has raised, the world cannot meet it. And that is why we walk in faith. And that is why we have given our lives to Jesus. Because we know that without God, we are all sinners that will go to hell. Without Christ, none of us is as righteous as we think we are. It is just the works of Christ that purifies us of our sins. And Paul is saying, when I come, I will make you perfect. Now, he's now moving to a next phase of his, um, what he's saying. Now, God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. Here he's saying that, may God cause us, since Satan is trying to hinder us, we're just praying that God what will order our steps so that we can meet again. Because we really want to come again. Unto you. May God guide us to come. And that means that God can guide you to a preacher. God can guide you to a man of God. And God can guide a man of God to you. Don't take spiritual associations for granted. Certain associations are ordained of God. Listen, in certain seasons of your life, let's say difficult times of your life, if God introduces you to very 
certain new people that are somewhat strange, pay close attention to them. Especially in very difficult seasons of your life, those are the times you see new people come into your life. And those are the new people that are coming. Most of them are ordained of God to come. And actually, those are the times we try to push all people away because we feel like everyone has betrayed us. I don't trust anyone again. I don't trust it. You know those those things. People, you know, as soon as they get broken heart, when you be called one two now, when broken heart, I say, all men are the same. They are all thieves. All men are criminals. <laughs> And that's the time God is bringing that good brother that will be a blessing to you. And that's the same time they have, they have started bashing every single guy away. And they are, every pastor is a criminal. Every pastor is a thief. All those things. That's why you have to be careful. Because Paul is saying that may God direct our path. May God guide our path to you. Say in the name of Jesus. Lord, guide the path of men. Mighty men. Unto me. In the name of Jesus. From today, may my eyes be opened to identify my helpers in the name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 12. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one towards another and towards all men, even as we do towards you. Verse 13. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his sins. Now, he's ending his chapter 3, chapter 3, right? And at the end of his chapter 3, he's about to tell us that God is making you holy because he's coming again. He said, Christ is making you holy and unblameable. Do you see unblameable? It means a man can be unblameable. I mean it. You know that statement? Why in the world Nansu Nino? Have you heard that thing before? Yeah. Hey, who now Nansu will be Hunyamini will be Nansu Nino? Are you listening to me? In the book of Numbers, he says that the Lord has not seen iniquity in Jacob. At that time, some of them were fornicating in, in, in their camp. Are you with me? At that same time, people were murmuring and confusing. And, but he said, I have not found a single iniquity in Jacob. That's why he said, when a man comes to Christ, he's a new creation. One version says he's a new creation. Another version says he's a new creature. Any of them will take it that way. He said, all things, all things are passed away. Behold, all things are made new. And that is why he's talking about you are unblameable. When God says you are justified, who can say you are not? When God says, this is my beloved son, can you say no? And I'm telling you that the Bible says, when a man comes to Christ, God ordains him, does he, no, no, God uh, announces him that this is my son. And again, the word is now saying, you are not God's son. You are worse sinner than me. Are you following what I'm saying? And sometimes some of your old classmates will meet you and they want to refer to you back to their, the way they knew you back in the days. You must remind them. Some of your friends say, okay, you could chat out to be here now. What do you want to say? Let them know, Charlie. I'm not that same person you knew me. You, you knew me. I, I've changed. Are you with me? Because I'm a new creature. And the Bible says that I am unblameable in holiness towards God. You can't find fault with me. You can't find fault with me. 
Are you following me? And he said, at, our, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his sins. He's now, he's now about to tell us a nice story. You sit down for me. Let's quickly go. He said, Christ is coming with all his sins. And the sins, he's talking about are the sins that are dead in Christ or slept, who have slept in Christ. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ, that as he have received of us, how we ought to walk and to please God, so ye should abound more and more. He's about the whole of the chapter, verse 1 to the verse 12. It's about one particular statement where Paul is teaching them to grow in faith and to abstain from sexual immorality and to walk in holiness and to do manual labor. Let's go. I'll explain what I mean. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. What is God's will for me? My sanctification. You can underline that. That's one of my, my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Your sanctification. That you should abstain from fornication. Is he saying God will make you abstain? He said you. It means that if he say you, it means he has, God has already given you that ability to abstain. Yours now must be to decide. As Christians, I must let you understand that any time a Christian sins, it's not Satan. It is him. He decided to do it. Christians don't, don't sin by Satan deceived me, whatever. We have been given power to not live in sin. So at any time a Christian says, ah, oh, yeah, it's not my fault. It was the devil. It's not the devil. It was you. You decided it because in it, you, do you know that the world, sinners, unbelievers are not commanded to abstain from, from because they can't. The Bible actually says they are dead in their sin. They cannot. They are dead. Are you with me? So, so those guys cannot abstain. They are enjoying it. They are living in it. They are dying in it. But we are being commanded that this is God's will for my life, my sanctification. Do you want to know God's will for your life? Your sanctification. That you walk in holiness. And went on that. Every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, you notice that he says possess. Okay? His vessel. His vessel that he's talking about is his body. Okay? And in 1 Corinthians, Paul talks about the fact that our bodies are the temples of God and the spirit of God lives within us. So my body is God's temple. God lives within my body. God doesn't live in my spirit. He lives in my body. He lives in me. Are you listening to me? The Bible doesn't teach that God lives in our spirit. He lives in our body. <laughs> are you following me? And he says that let every man possess his vessel. The word possess there does not mean like... Um, um, what should I be used for the possessed? Like the way demons possess a body. Okay? It, no, it doesn't mean to possess. It doesn't, that's not the, the kind of possess he's talking about here. The kind of possess he's talking about here is like um, um, to buy. To buy something. Are you with me? To purchase something with a price. Are, are you with me? So the word possess that he's using here is like to buy something with a price and to own it. He said, now, God's will for you is to be sanctified. You must own your body. Don't let your body become an instrument of unrighteousness. 
That's why I told you that when you say, oh, it's the devil, that is not the devil, it's you. You are doing it. It's not the devil. I mean, I'm not saying the devil does it. I mean, it's you. You got up and went there. It's not the devil. I listen to me. Because you have been given power. And that's what Paul said. Let every man, every one of you know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Why? Because his body has a price. Not in lust. He's showing us that how we should possess. How we should possess our bodies. He said not in lust of concupiscence. Somebody say concupiscence. (laughs) Conscupiscence is um, a a word for all kinds of sexual immorality pornography, masturbation egeism adultery, fornication all those ones conscupiscence somebody says conscupiscence say it all if you don't say it you won't go to heaven say it (laughs) You know how some people say if you don't wear, if you wear trousers you won't go to heaven. So I'm also saying I'm also giving my own law. If you can't pronounce conscupiscence, you won't go to heaven. <laughs> hey, say it. Hey, he's a brugudugus. Amen. And he said, not. He said we should possess our bodies, our vessel in sanctification and honor. And so this is not how you do it. Not in lust or conscupiscence, even as Gentiles. Which know not God. And no man go beyond and defraud. So again, don't live in sexual immorality of any kind. Pornography. Um, anything sexual. You know how some of the brothers, they will be pressing some sisters, but us. <laughs> in school, especially the SS people, they like doing the power and the JHS people. Yeah, oh, back in the days when I was in Jesus, I saw some of my mates doing so I know. Even back in the days, not talk of now. I don't know what they do now. <laughs> oh, yeah. I saw many things in my JHS days. Some of my mates. Hey. Hmm. I can't see it. So, first of all, all kinds of sexual immorality, stay away from it. Are you with me? Or oh, Christian brothers after church, you are trying to hug. I said, now no hugs in this church. I, I, I do remember. You have to stand one meter apart. I say, Sister, Sister Ruth, shake, handshake. <laughs> uh, it's not beautiful to be in church. <laughs> I follow me. <laughs> now, maybe Philip should come and we'll do an example. Philip, please come, put your book down and come. I mean that. Now, don't touch. Some, sometimes, some of the brothers, hey. <laughs> I mean, it has been canceled in the name of Jesus. Amen. By the blood of Jesus, the blood of the Holy Ghost. I mean, the Holy Ghost doesn't have blood, but blood, blood, blood. Now, you stand to say, sister, sister, um, sister yes. <laughs> like that. Even that one, the handshake is too long. <laughs> you do like this. <laughs> uh, I'm just playing, I'm just playing, I'm just playing. <laughs> Hallelujah. You know that... <laughs> You know that back in the days, eh, that was how they were told us to do. Hey, hey. <laughs> he said, if you even go and do a sister like this, Charlie, you have sinned. <laughs> you are going to hell. <laughs> so, all forms of sexual immorality, he said, we should take a, that's 
if you stay away from sexual immorality, you are what? You are possessing your best. And another way is, don't be a scam in church. When we are looking at it very soon. Which verse are we? Verse 6, eh? That no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter because that the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also have forewarned you and testified. Sometimes when we read these kind of things, people will say, hey, are you sure? Paul is saying that God will punish people in church who are scammers. <laughs> hmm. Let me tell you a story. People don't understand what Christ did. A lot of people don't understand what Christ did for us. Christ's death on the cross was to prevent God from punishing us to go to hell. That's the ultimate punishment that Christ came to die for us for. I listen to me. But while we are still down here on earth, when we misbehave, God still has systems that he uses to chasten us so that we will continually walk in holiness. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. The rod is used for beating, the staff is used for directing. And he says, a father chastens his children and God also chastens us. The way he chastens us, he says that brothers in the church and pastors in the church that are scammers, I mean by scammers, they are deceiving their brothers and their sisters. Okay, oh, I've got this on business. I'll sell this for you. He's selling something. You are selling something for a brother that should be two cities. You sell it for a brother for 50 cities. He says, come. And he said, God will punish you. You are a Christian. By saying that God will, he said, God will avenge people in the church. And he said, and we have already warned you about these things. When were we to? And we have testified. Why is that so? Because the good example of scammers in church was Ananias and Sapphira. They were scammers. And I'm sure, yes, they were scammers. I listen to what I'm saying. Yes, they came to scam Peter and, 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 and the church. And I, when you look at the story, you realize that they were, they were deceiving people already. And it, I think it was something that had escalated. And at this time around, Peter said, And he said, we have warned you that stay away from this. And I've realized that I know <clears throat> times that even preachers have deceived people and taken a huge sums of their money as high as 20,000, 30,000 CDs. And said, let's do a business together. Then before he realized, because he's pastor, nobody can talk. And, and before he realized, well, that and if you joke, I'll kill you and all those things. And Paul is saying that that pastor will receive a, a, a punishment. You receive punishment. Watch, look, watch preachers that live or Christians that live that kind of life of defrauding their colleague believers in church. Okay? I mean to say that uh, people have been offended by believers that have defrauded them in church. People can be in church. Eh? Eh? He will sell his car to you. And then, you know, the car, it has no fault. When I bought it, I never give me a fault. And the person is talking and say, Pastor, you will buy it. Use it for two weeks. The car will break down. You take it. I tell you, I've seen it happen before. A friend, Pastor of mine, bought a car. Eh? He bought it all. 
For about 70,000 Ghana, the car that's never had a Ford before. He rode it from his place to Sunyane. By the time he got there, the car broke down. He took it to market. He said, The engine is poor. They've even repaired it. So it's a gasket. Omar repairs our armor. Engine in ash. He has scammed him for 70,000 cities. And Paul is saying that God will avenge all these people. And all those people, note, you realize that eh, that 70,000, how much you have scammed them for, you will lose more of your money for doing it. And that is the, the avenging that he's talking about here. When God is punishing, for instance, a Christian that is living in adultery, when God is punishing him, the punishment he gives to him is shame. The punishment he gives to him is related to adultery. He will get certain diseases and infections and certain crazy. When a Christian is a liar, people will lie over to him. People will deceive him. I mean, the things you do is the same thing God uses to punish you. Minister, what are they? What we are? 419. 419. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Obi o ya Zambia obi so. Yesa mega ni mega shia ni ehu aden. Mega ho ho. And that is what happens. And that is how God avenges people. Ozo ya Zambia obi shia bi obi be ya wa Zambia e chen e chen And that is what Paul is warning them against that don't be scammers in church. Don't defraud your brothers and sisters. Don't do that. Don't use licentious ways. Don't use dubious ways to deceive your brothers and sisters for for money. And personally, one of the things that I stay away is money-related issues. Look, you can easily, because of that, I don't do business with any brother of mine or any, I don't do business with a brother or a sister. Because people can easily fight over money. I tell you. Are, are you listening to what I'm saying? Are you listening to my wisdom? I mean it. Many relationships have been broken down because of money. I mean, when I'm living with someone, I give the, I let the person, when I was with Ega, when I was, I, I used to live with Ega, Ega kept all my money. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Yeah? Because money, eh? Hmm. That's by the way. He, for God has not called us unto uncleanness, but holiness. God hasn't called us to uncleanness, but this self-explanatory. He that despised, despised not man, but God, who has also called us his called who has also given unto us his Holy Spirit. Then he went on. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourself are taught of God to love one another. He said, if you love your brother, you won't scam your brother. If you love your brother, you won't deceive your brother. If you love your brother, you won't go and backbite against your brother. And indeed, ye do it towards all brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. And that ye steady to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Now, have you heard that statement, mind your own business? This is where it is found. It's there. To mind your own business. It's there. It's here. Verse 11. That ye steady to be quiet and mind your own business. That's why in the AFM family network, I tell people, don't discuss people's relationships. In actual, we don't do that. We don't discuss people's relationships. It's a taboo in AFM. We don't discuss people's relationships and people's marriages. 
Are you listening to me? Hey, have you heard? Have you heard that? Brother Micah is going out with um, Lady V. Have you heard it? I mean hear that their family doesn't want to agree or and Brother Micah is if I catch you. Is it your relationship? No. Are you the one going to marry them? Are you the one who has married them? That is, that, he said, mind your own business. He said, if you love your brother, shut your mouth. All those things. Hey, have you heard? I heard that. He said, even lost her job. Is it your concern? Is it your job that has been lost? And Paul said, love one another and mind your own business. He said, steady to keep your mouth shut. He said, shut up your mouth. He said, come on. All those people that are doing concussion, come on, keep quiet and mind your own business. Mind your own business. And those of you are scammers, he said, go and work with your hands. Make money. Go and hustle and stop scamming people in church. <laughs> That's why he said, hey, oh. <laughs> as we have commanded you, <laughs> amen. <laughs> they say, mind your own business. scammers. Mind your own business. Verse what? That ye may walk earnestly towards them that are without. That ye may have lack of nothing. He says they should walk earnestly with those who are without. Without them means those who are absent. I mean to say that you know that he's talking about minding their own business. You see how people, sometimes we can talk behind people's back. Because they are not there. But he says even while the people are not there, we should be able to speak good about them. We should be able, all here is talking about good Christian conducts. And how we should conduct ourselves. And he said, in their absence, why do you have to go and concern about them? Is it your concern? He said, Charlie, don't do that. So that God will bless you and you will lack nothing. You will lack nothing. Verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. Now he's changing the subject. From I told you verse 1 to 12 was talking about faithfulness. And then hard work. And all of that. Now verse 13 downwards is going to be talking about the second coming of Christ. And I want us to pay close attention to it. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others have no, which have no hope. Now, the believers in Thessalonica, the Thessalonians, had heard that Jesus is coming soon and some of their church members had died and were worried. They were sort of, oh, they couldn't wait for Jesus to come. What will happen to them? Are you following what I'm saying? I mean, they were worried. That's why Paul was saying up there that I need to come and teach you more things because you don't know more things. They were worried that, hey, no more we there. Yes, we won't anything. Especially the sister, we know a good power. We say, oh, we are. Yes, we won't anything. What about God? And Apostle says, I'm using my money to transfer my interest radio. Let me teach you the thing in food. So he's saying that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. He's saying that those who are dead who do not have Christ, their family members will have sorrow because they have no hope for the dead. When Christians die, we shouldn't cry. Sometimes as human beings, because we are going to miss them in our midst, we cry. 
we should rather cry when sinners die. Especially if they are our family members because they have no hope. And that is what Paul is saying here. As others, do not sorrow as others who have no hope. Where are we? For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so then, also which, also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him? He's saying that if Jesus was, risen from, was raised from the dead, we too will be raised from the dead. That's what he's saying. It means that there shall be resurrection of the dead. Are you following what I'm saying? That's why I've always thought that, I've always thought that, you know what? God's plan was never for man to be a spirit. Man will never be a spirit, has never been a spirit. Because even when Christ comes, we will, our mortal bodies will be given energy. We will still become flesh, flesh again. Are you listening to what I'm saying? We, our bodies will be resurrected this time around, immortal body, that this body cannot die again. But we still have physical body because man must have a body. And he's saying that when the resurrection takes place, just as Jesus has a body in heaven, we too have bodies in heaven. And he's going to raise us from the dead. Verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that ye which are alive and remain unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ shall not repent them which are asleep. No, shall not present, prevent them which are asleep. Okay, let's read it again. For this we know, for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that ye which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from the cloud. A descend from heaven. I don't know why I'm quoting different versions of. <laughs> I'm quoting a different version in my head. Let me take my time and read it. This version. <laughs> For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. He's saying over here. What he's saying is that over here. What he's saying is that. You know what, brothers? The fact that you are alive does not mean you prevent those who are dead from coming back to life. Okay, so when Christ comes, some people will be alive and some will be dead. Those who are dead will be brought back to life to join those who are alive. And then Christ shall descend from the heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. With the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we shall, hey, where am I, why am I missing from here again? Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the cloud. First of all, this is what he's saying. He's saying that the dead shall be raised from the dead and they shall be with Christ in the clouds. Then we who are alive, we will be caught up to be with Christ. Now, the word caught up there is um, actually what people have. The, the Hebrew word is hapazo. It means to snatch by force. Hapazo, it means to attract by force, like the way a magnet is able to attract something. That's the word they caught up together um, with them in the clouds. The same caught up is used when Paul was talking about the fact that he was caught up into the third heavens in his Second Corinthians 12 that he knew a man about 40 years ago who was caught up into the third heavens. And here he's saying that 
Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with him. Now, this is one of the most controversial topics in Christianity. Will there be rapture? There will be no rapture. Um, Final tribulation, whatever. Now, over here, Paul is not saying that Um, let me read something for you. Are you ready? Okay. I have some, something here. I want to read. The Greek term used here is hapazo, which means to seize with force. The emphasis is on the reunion of Jesus, not necessarily removal from F. Believers who are alive during Christ's return will be forcibly you know that's my word, right? Forcibly. How many of you have heard it before? <laughs> we forcibly united with him, no matter what type of interference of evil that they may face. Paul could be suggesting that believers will be literally united with Christ in the air. That is to talk about the rapture view. There are those who believe that will be raptured into the air and will never come again, or simply that believers will be united with Christ in bringing God's presence, which is in heaven, fully to the earth. Amen. So there are two views that there is no rapture and the word rapture is not in the Bible. The same way the word rapture is the same way the word trinity is not in the Bible. But we believe it is taught. Over here, Paul is saying that when Christ comes in his second coming, some say, oh, there will be, usually some people say, okay, First of all, there will be a final tribulation. And then, okay, so let me tell you a number of schools. So the first one is, we will be there. Then before you realize, we all disappear. There will be a final um, rapture. Then after rapture, the Antichrist will be revealed. And people will be tortured. And if you don't take the CCC's mark, you, you can't buy all those things. And people will be killed. And then those Jews who are alive and human beings who are also alive during that time, who are able to believe in Christ, are able to endure to the end of that tribulation period, will be saved. That's one view. The other view is that the tribulation will take place while the saints are still around, but God will preserve us within the tribulation. I follow what I'm saying. So while the world is going through serious times and serious seasons and wars and all kinds and the Antichrist review will still be here. Then during that time of the Antichrist reign, after that, we will be caught up to be with, to meet Christ in the air, and then we will return with Christ to come down on earth and rule for 1,000 years. It's called the millennial rule of Christ. There are things in the Bible. For 1,000 years on earth. So over here, the word used there, caught up. You know, we are doing Bible study. The word used here, caught up, is like in, in, in the book of Matthew 25, where he's talking about the parable of the virgins. That they went to wait for the bride's groom, and they waited, and, and um, I'm looking for a scripture. Okay, okay, let's read then, I'll tell you the story. Okay. Let's, let's read then, I'll tell you the, the story, the whole story. Verse 7, we've read the story that we'll be caught up in the clouds and we'll be with the Lord forever. Wherefore, comfort one another with this way. He said, comfort one another that when Christ comes, there shall be a rapture at the second coming. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, 
ye have no need that I write unto you. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. When, for when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are children of the light, and the children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love for an helmet for the salvation. Now, let's stop there. Let's, now, let me tell you the whole, the whole story here. In Hebrew tradition, um, what happens is that when, let's say, you are receiving a visitor, let's say a prestigious person is coming to town or is coming to visit you, what you usually do is that the important people who know you are related with him, they go out of the town, they go and meet the visitor outside the town, then they escort the visitor back into the town. Then they spend all their time with the visitor in the town. And that is exactly the same thing that is happening here. I follow me. Again, in the, the, the story of the parable of the five virgins, the, the, the five, five wise and five foolish, the ten virgins, one of them slept in the sense that they, are, they slept and their candles went out. And some stayed awake with their candle on. And that's what Paul is saying there. Let us be what? Be sober. The word sober means let us be active. Let us be alive. Let us keep our fire burning. Let us keep our faith alive. Let us not sleep because soon he's coming. And when he comes, we will be caught up in the air and we will be with him and we will return back on earth and we shall rule for a thousand years. And for that matter, let us put on the breastplate of righteousness. And he's saying that those who sleep are in darkness, but we are not those who sleep. We are not the children of darkness. We are the children of light. We live in light. We are not ignorant that Christ is coming again. It is, you say, oh, yes, my say, it won't be a shock for us because we are expecting him every day, any day. So for it won't be a shock. The ones that it will come like a thief are actually unbelievers who did not believe. They are the ones that they will, before they realize he has come, and they have no other choice, and they have lost all. It is them, the Bible is referring that Christ's coming will be like a thief. But to us, it won't be like a thief. It will be like a bride expecting her bridegroom. Amen. Let's quickly finish and go. But let us, hey, where are we? Verse 9. For God has not appointed us to rap. Do you see that you have talked about rapture and all those? They said, for God has not appointed us to rap uh, to obtain salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ. Who died for us that we wake or sleep we should live together with him. The way sleep there is not the same sleep that was used up there. This sleep here refers to dead. I mean, those who have died in Christ. So he said, those of us who are alive and those of us who are dead, we shall live together with him. Wherefore, again, he's telling them again that comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as 
also ye do. And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. He's saying that, brethren, you have important people amidst you. You have pastors, you have leaders. Treat them with high regard. Treat them with high respect. Verse 14. Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly. The word unruly there is warn them that are lazy among you, that are slack. Comfort the feeble-minded, those who are weak. Support the weak. So comfort the feeble-minded is the same thing as comfort the weak. Now, are you getting Bible interpretation? Exactly. <laughs> be patient towards all men. Be patient. Don't be quick-tempered. Some people are growing. That is why people have asked. Sometimes I'm, I'm patient sometimes at certain people. I've had to be with certain people. They are as crazy as they are. And sometimes we are just calm because we know that people are growing into maturity. You understand? Uh-huh. Jesus said to Peter, he said, while you were a child, you, you dressed up yourself. You went wherever you wanted. He said, but the time is coming. Another man shall hold your hand and lead you to places you don't want to go. In, in, as people begin to come to church, we find out that they are babies. Some are babies. And some are children. And some are grown-ups. And some are old men. So sometimes we must give opportunity for the children to grow. Don't you think so? So that when they grow, they to have a certain understanding. So as leaders and as pastors or as Christians, we must learn to give regard and a certain sense of care for people that are young in their faith. If not, they will lose their, their faith. And that is what he's telling us to do here. See that none render evil for evil. He said, don't, 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 don't do that. Don't repay one another's evil. Because you remember he has talked, he spoke about 419 in church. Yeah. And he's telling that, Charlie, don't repay them. I've already told God to do it. So don't do that. Don't go. <laughs> Are you with me? He says, See that no one render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good, both among yourself and to all men. Then he's about to close the book of First Thessalonians. Are you ready? Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing. Have you heard that scripture before? This way it's from. Ah. I told you that whole, the whole book was written for Christians who are going through tough seasons. They want to give up in their life. Like, Charlie, things are not going well. People are, I mean, everything is, is against them. I mean, it's like they are the only person in the world that the devil is just, I mean, the devil has made them their friends. That the devil, I mean, that's what, and now Paul is telling them, he's ending, he said, brethren, rejoice forevermore. He says, don't give a single opportunity for sorrow. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What is the will of God? In everything, I must give thanks. Romans 8.20, he said, for, for uh, we know. That all things work together for good for them that love God and for them that are called according to his purpose. And for that matter, when storms come, I give God thanks. When I lose my job, I give God thanks. When things don't go well, I give God thanks. For this is God's will. 
for me. That persecution is good for me. So that I give God thanks. So that I rejoice. Then he says, quench not the spirit. That certain things can happen in a church that will make people throw away their prayer life. Some believers can go through certain seasons of their life that will make them say, Lord, now I'm tired. I've given. Have you heard people? We have given all kinds of seeds. We have been to every prophet. We have been, he said, brethren, storms are good for you. They will build you up. Now, therefore, quench not the spirit. And the way that the people in that church were quenching the spirit was that they were despising prophetics. They were despising prophetics because they were going through difficulties and now prophet, you are coming to tell, in the realms of the spirit, I'm seeing that God is about, prophet, quench not the spirit. Don't despise prophetics. Don't despise prophesying because, you know, you say that every single verse is in context though. These guys are going through difficult seasons. And they were, they, it came to a point where they were now, in the moment a prophet can say, God said, I show you, Master, we don't. Are you sure? Because the way we are struggling, the way things are not going well, we have not given up, but you know, that things are not going well. The prophet, that receiving prophecies are brave, or sequence not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Prove all things and hold that which is good. Now, the reason it says prove all things is that the prove all things here refers to the prophesying. Okay? That you receive prophecies. Make sure you judge them because some prophecies are not from God. And when you find the ones that are from God, hold on unto them. Believe them. Then he says, abstain from all appearances of evil. And that the God, the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly. I pray God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. Man, all his, these are his final ways. He says that God is faithful. I may be going through difficult seasons in my life and it seems like things are not working. But brothers, be encouraged. God is faithful. Listen, sister. Listen, brother. One day you will look back. You will be shocked at where God has brought you. I mean it. I mean it. God is faithful. Let's keep our faith alive. Let's not quench the spirit. I tell you this, that God is faithful that every prophecy will come to pass. Every word concerning my life will come to pass. I believe it. I may not see it now. Now I may still be beaten around the bush and struggling here and there. But the Bible says that God is faithful that he will do it. Anything that he has spoken concerning my life, he will do it. He will do it. Somebody say he will do it. Say my God is faithful. I will not give up in my faith. He will do it. I will enlarge. I will expand. 
I will not be small because God is faithful. He will not leave me nor forsake me. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Don't give up, brother. I know sometimes some of you are really struggling. Even power cry, you can't buy power. And sometimes when pastor is saying things, you're like, hey, are you sure this thing is true? But the Bible says that God is faithful. Then he goes and says, brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now, holy kiss there doesn't mean, doesn't mean going. <laughs> Hey, that's not a holy kiss. Oh. We don't even know what the holy kiss is, but it wasn't this one. <laughs> All right, when you look at, have you seen there are different ways of ancient kisses that were given? Some of them, have you seen how the movies they, they use their cheek here? Uh huh. And then some to you do your hand like this. Those are those types of kisses he's talking about. Hey. But for the Jews themselves, they used to kiss on your neck. That's the kiss on your neck. It was a sign of serious love. The kiss on your neck. That's the one he's talking about here. Hey, it's not the... <laughs> if my wife were here, I would have given you that kind of kiss. But since she's not here, I can't, I can't demonstrate it, can I? I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read unto all the holy brethren. Look, Christos, you know, I have a better son, and you know, no, no, my own. Those days, and when they come to church, they just read the Bible like the way we are reading. That's how they used to do it. I'm a kind, sir, I kind of know your bomb pie, no, be a coffee. Because have you seen that as we're just going to, we have learned different, but if I was say I was going to preach on prayer, you know, like everything's about prayer, but here we have realized that so many things have been spoken about. And he said, brothers, read this epistle every time. Read it to everyone. Then he ends his greetings. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Amen. Clap your hands for Jesus. What a church. Hey. The day we get to Romans, eh? Some of you will sit down. You will sit on the floor. I mean it. <laughs> if we ever go to, if we ever do Bible study in Romans, we can't finish it. If you are not sure, we will just read five chapters, five, five verses for a whole year. Who is blessed? Now, if you have not, if you have not listened to the part one, go and listen to the part one. This is First Thessalonians part two, and I'm trusting God. Maybe next week I may take you to the part, the Second Thessalonians, because the Second Thessalonians, what happened was that when Paul sent it, was talking about Christ, they stopped working. Those who wanted to marry said, "We will marry again because Christ is coming next month." Yes. So Paul now to write Second Thessalonians. Ah. Because over here, you may think that Jesus is coming tomorrow. So they didn't go, those who were supposed to go to school didn't. Those who were supposed to marry, those who were supposed to work, they said they started selling their properties and everything because Jesus is coming. And they were enjoying life. Fast, fast, fast. They were enjoying life. 
Amen. So he had to write a second letter to them to tell them that no, no, no. Then he explained the rapture, the second coming in detail. Amen. I want you to lift up your hands. Tell God that God grant me strength in the days of adversity. Even in difficult times of my life, may I not give up in my faith. In the name of Jesus. Begin to pray this last prayer. Begin to pray this last prayer. May we be strong in our faith. May we be strong in our faith. Somebody pray. We have one minute to go. One minute more. One minute more. Somebody in the Gosagamba land tire. In the name of Jesus. I pray for everyone in this building and those that will listen to this tape. May God give you strength in the days of adversity. Receive strength 